a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today we had a great conversation with Elizabeth Pedersen. She's incredible. She's a former youth in care who has a great lived experience in the foster care space. She's advocating. She's helping other people to advocate. Just a phenomenal conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it like I did. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. We have an amazing guest. We've already been giggling, so we are ready to go. This is my new friend, uh, Elizabeth Pedersen. Um, affectionately known as Lizzie. Yes, um, she's yes. she's so great. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. We're so excited to have you. We met a, a, a few months ago mm-hmm. when um, we were connected through an organization. And um, you have an incredible story. So I would like you to just kind of start from the beginning and talk about your your story growing up and mm-hmm. um, your experiences and how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, I um, grew up in Minnesota. I grew up in a, in a suburb like about 15 minutes from Minneapolis called Bloomington, Minnesota. Um, and I spent 14 years there. So that's where I claim to be from. That's home to me. Um, I came from a single mom, so I don't have a relationship with my biological dad. But um, my single mom, she did great. She did great for so many years. Um, and as any single mother does, they struggle and capacities that a lot of families um, can't understand, can't comprehend. And so to all the single mothers out there, like, you're doing a great job. We love you. Keep rocking it. Um, It came to a point when I was about 12 or 13, um, where just the situation was kind of child welfare got involved and we were kind of evaluating, okay, what is the best interest for Elizabeth, for me? Um, And that I stayed with some family friends for a few months and the legality of staying with them and being enrolled in school and not being able to go to the doctor because they don't have um, legal permission or rights over me kind of took over and I was placed into the foster care system um, where I tell people back then it probably I wouldn't have said it was the best 10 and a half months of my life. Looking back, it was the best 10 and a half months of my life. I was placed with the best family, only one family. Um, I stayed in my same school district. Um, so I stayed around the same people, the same friends. I was like two and a half minutes from where I grew up with my mom. So it was really just a blessing in disguise that I was placed where I was placed. Um, and I still have a relationship with those foster parents today um, and their biological son. So, um, yeah, that was really neat. I had an incredible guardian at Lightham. 
Um, I had a lot of people in the foster care system that really fought for me and fought for my voice. And my guardian at Lightham was so gifted at empowering my voice and not speaking for me. Um, And she was the one who really kind of just came in and was like, no, like you're smart. Advocate for yourself. And I have um, my grandfather who's been a part of my whole life and practically half raised me. He has also always said, you're so strong willed. You have a good head on your shoulders. Um, And I really have just kind of blossomed on those words, um, which have been really just a gift. And so after I left the foster care system, my aunt and uncle adopted me. They live in Salt Lake City. So I made the trek out here over a thousand miles away from what was home. Um, And yeah, I started freshman year here and then I graduated um, and I moved to Boise. So there's a lot of ins and outs to those 18 years. um, But that is kind of my story, how I was placed in care, um, being adopted out of care stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a really incredible story of, of resilience and, and really having that powerful voice. And I think that's what a first, um, you know, I think that it was, it was such a, you know, your, your voice and, and your personality is such a force Mm -hmm. that I I mean, I was immediately drawn in Mm -hmm. and we've, we've had some incredible conversations. Um, one of the one of the things that you know in our work in foster care and and this in this space is really you know there are so many people with this lived experience and this mm-hmm. is what we're, this is we, you and I have talked about this and you're yeah. you're a lived experience expert yeah and so you know talk maybe just a little bit about how and when you decided you could use your voice to be this lived experience expert mm-hmm. and um you know were people receptive to that right away yeah. or or did it take some time? Yeah. I think ever since I was little, I've always been very strong-willed. I'm an only child. And so I kind of had the personality from a very young age. It was my way or the highway, which we've learned to navigate that in a healthy way. Um, <laughs> we've learned that control in type A is not always the best way. Um, but I think honestly, like having that from such a young age and honestly gaining the independence from such a young age. I mean, people who grow up with single moms, um, they gain a certain independence. You know, you kind of have to fend for yourself a little bit more than a two to one ratio. Right. And so um, that kind of definitely sparked that voice and just being heard and being an only child and being the first child in my family for years, there was a lot of attention. Um, There was a lot of like, well, what does the little girl want to do? What does Lizzie want to do? This, 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 and this. And so that kind of, I think, sparked that. And then when I went through everything that I did, it took quite a few years of processing, quite a few years of um, really diving deep to the root of hurt, Mm -hmm. um, handling forgiveness, um, forgiving things that you know, your own family goes through is really hard because there's a lot of love there, but there's also a lot of hurt. And so balancing the two of those was really difficult. But I think just over the years, um, I really took time in my high school years and about two years after high school, when I moved to Boise for college to just kind of like dive into the root of the pain Mm -hmm. and how do we overcome that pain, but we use it for, um, 
someone else, you know, like someone else needs to hear the same story and someone else needs to understand that like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and yeah. 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 No, I, it's, it's so powerful and it's so needed. And, and do you, do you attribute maybe that, you know, you talked a little bit about how, you know, you're, an only child um, and maybe that environment helped you to kind of, you know, that having to be independent um, at a young age, how much of it is that and how much of it is necessity to, to have to have overcome some of this stuff and in versus this is just my personality mm-hmm. and I would have survived this anyway or something like, I'm not, not survived it anyway, but that no, totally, but, but I mean like, because there's people with a lot of different personalities that maybe wouldn't have thrived yeah. uh, as well as you did yeah. in a situation that you were in. No, totally. And I think there's something to be said about um, just like it is, you know, partially personality, partially being strong willed. And it's also partially like just having to. Um, if I, I think for many years and I still probably have a little bit of this in me. If I don't do it, no, it's not going to get done. Mm-hmm. Or if I don't do it, it's not going to be done well. Um, and I think part of that was kind of growing up. Like from a very young age, I was like signing my field trip papers and stuff like that because I was like, I have to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I moved in when my aunt and uncle adopted me and they were like, kids don't do that. And I was like, <laughs> you can't untrain 14 years of that. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it was honestly probably one of the hardest things for us is because they were like, be a kid. And I was like, I don't, that's I don't not know me. How. Yeah. 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 And so um, I think, yeah, it's part personality, but it's part just kind of like learned um, through the years of yeah. what you're kind of like taught to do. You know, some kids are really strongly dependent mm-hmm. um, and their parents create a space for that. Um, mine yeah. didn't. So yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. Navigate. You talked about your aunt and uncle, and I, I can imagine that was, there were probably some growing pains, some learning oh, pains. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I hear a lot of stories um, of of uh, youth in care who almost create problems, not necessarily intentionally, no, yeah. but as a proof, like, of course, they're going to send me away because... Yeah. That's what I've experienced. It's the like unshakable stability that Mm. your adoptive parents, your foster parents offer Um, kids who don't grow up in that environment don't think that's normal. Mm. So like they, you know, a lot of people are like, well, foster care is just a bunch of troubled kids and there's a stigma around that. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not troubled kids. It's not kids seeking attention. It's kids who need to relearn what stable is. They've never been taught what stability is. They've never been taught what um, having a two parent household is. They've never been taught food on the table and clothes on your back is normal. And so they act out almost in this sense of like, how far will my new parents love stretch for me until it doesn't, you mm. know? And I think a lot of foster parents, I know a lot of foster parents who their love has been stretched, you know, but it's like your own child could act out in that same way and you would fight for them. And so you would fight for their stability. You would fight for their normalcy. You would get them help in whatever capacity they needed it. So why don't we do that for foster kids? Mm. 
Yeah, no, it's so great. And I think, um, just, just a, a, a thought as we, as we go into this and as Mm -hmm. a a thought for, you know, prospective foster families for prospective kinship families who, who may, you know, if they have an understanding of that trauma informed, you know, you understand that this child has had this type of trauma, then it doesn't make them a bad kid. It doesn't make them a horrible person, which is, you know, crazy that that's, you know, can be a stigma, but that this child is having to learn Hmm. what love and connection feels like. And, and with that looming, I think idea that, this could go away too. Mm, And I'm waiting to see how far it takes for it to go away. Yeah. And it's just something that kids should never have to worry about being taken away. Like love is not parents. Stability is not something that should be even in question for children. Yes. That should just be a known that kids will have that. And I think one of the best things my aunt and uncle did when I moved in is they put me immediately into therapy, Mm. um, which A lot of people would be like, well, duh, but really, I mean, a good therapist and I was with her for three to four years and they, she was so good at navigating like, this is an attachment style. What is your attachment style with parents? What is your attachment style with um, friends? You know, are you anxious? Are you secure? Most kids in the quote unquote normal family have a secure attachment style. They know their parents aren't going anywhere. They know their parents love them and they know their parents would do anything for them. Most foster kids have an anxious attachment style where they will do anything to push you away until you prove that you will not leave Mm -hmm. through any of it. So that also was just so interesting to, and that was honestly really helpful because my aunt and uncle, they're not mental health professionals, you know, they're professionals in a completely different field of work, but they were like, we don't know. Like, just cause we're your parents now doesn't mean we can help you in this way, but let us get you help. Mm, yeah. I love that. You yeah. know, I, that's such a great thought. And even anybody who, you know, has children, I mean, I, myself as a parent have to do that when there's a problem that I I can't solve. Yeah. I'm not a mental health professional. Yes, yeah. Um I know my my husband in his his ecclesiastical roles, you know, he would have people come to him and he's like, "I'm not a mental mm. health professional. Let me help you find someone yes. who is." And I think we make the mistake because we're a parent, we should know about attachment styles totally. or, you know, these things yeah. that somebody's going through, even if there hasn't been the type of trauma you're talking about. I mean, life is really hard for a lot of people and there's there's some mental health struggles that we that we're all going to face. So I, I love that the, the therapy and professionals are needed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. Now. Yeah, they know a lot. <laughs> turns than out sometimes. Yeah, turns out. yeah. <laughs> um, when when we come right back, I want to talk about our trip to DC. We'll do that in when we come right back. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me, and this is the point where I thought I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
We're back here with Elizabeth Pedersen. Uh, we had we've had a great conversation so far, and and she's just you can tell why we connected. She's she's amazing. You're amazing. Thank you. Um, but we had a great trip to Washington D.C. together, we did. and so <laughs> it was a party. <laughs> it was it was a total party, uh, but we did a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, just just we get Clarity. that straight. <laughs> but um, so talk a little bit about you know from your perspective you know why we why we went what was what was our yeah. purpose of our trip and and then we can talk about some of our really cool experiences. Yeah, well, I got a phone call one day. Um, it was like noon, and I was like, I don't know who this is, but it's a Utah number. I'll answer it, whatever. And it was one of your assistants, and she was like, Hey is this Elizabeth? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Like, what's up? Like, what did I, I either did something really wrong or really right. And so she was like, yeah, so we've actually been invited to go to Washington DC next week, um, you know, for foster care and youth mental health. And we are allowed to bring a lived experience um, person with us. Would you like to be that? And I was like, uh, I guess, like, sure, maybe. And in the first round, I admit she said next week. So I was like, oh, when? Thinking, you know, like six months from now. Everything with the government is planned super far out. And she goes, oh, you'll leave in like four days. And I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, sure. Sounds fun. I guess we're going to DC. And so I freaked out, packed my bags, thought, what an opportunity. And as you know, it just kind of like went up from there. Yeah. We had the craziest time. Yeah. So the, I'll, I'll set it up and I'll let you finish yes. the story because it was so great. Uh, we And it was, for whatever reason, it just, that came together so quickly. Usually, I mean, so usually fast. travels like that is on my calendar way ahead of time. But we were invited to come back to these, this. Um, it was a, a conference put on by the Casey Family Foundation, which is an organization mm. that does a lot around foster care and youth mental health mm-hmm. and child welfare in general. And so um, we we thought it was a great opportunity because it was also with um, other first spouses. There were about five of us there, I think, that ended up yeah. coming and five of us that kind of have been working in the space of of child welfare and youth mental health and and things like that, um, I I've spoken before on the program about um, Tammy Murphy, uh, the first lady of New Jersey, who came out a few like a month ago, um, working on youth mental health and maternal health, hmm. and so we've we've connected my colleagues and I across the country have connected a few of us on this these these ideas and so when when they asked me to come back I you know I I made it work in the schedule because I thought this was really an important convening and and to, to bring people with lived experience with us I thought was really powerful um, I yeah. think one of the the phrases that I have that I've heard and I think it was there that I heard this and I've just I, I can't stop thinking about it in everything that I do and it's called nothing for us without us. Mm, yeah. And I, you know, it's informed my work in, um, with unified sports yeah. and with the special Olympics. I mean, mm. that's, that's a big theme. I think anytime we're working with any 
group, we need to make sure that those voices are making the, are the decision makers. Absolutely. Yeah. So with your voice and and your um, your colleagues in in that conference, it was, I thought it was really powerful to hear those stories. We were able to meet with the um, the secretary of health and human services. I mean, cabinet level for the federal government, it was it was a really big deal. So um, so we had a really cool experience where, you know, the night we flew in or the afternoon we flew in, they said, well, we'll set up a, a tour of the White House, which is unusual, which was really fun. And I thought that would be great. You know, our these these former youth, um, these young adults are going to love this. And yeah. I've been to the White House once before and had a really interesting experience there. Yeah. It was really great. Um, so I thought, well, this will be this will be really cool. So just as we were about to get there, I um, one of somebody told me that the the Marine One, the president's helicopter, had left a few hours before to go down to Florida to mm-hmm. visit the hurricane sites and, and yeah. that kind of thing. So I had understood that they had gone there. And so when we pulled up to the White House and we get in there and we do the COVID test and we do all this stuff and they take us right up to the balcony, which I thought was really weird. Um, And then all of a sudden we're sitting out there and (laughs) you tell the rest of the story. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. Secret Service, you know, was like. The president's flying in. You guys can watch him land. And I was like, this is a sack of baloney. Like, we're not uh, going to do this. That's what I thought. I, thought I was would, like. I thought it'd be like a mile away. We'd see him like. Yeah. I'm like, oh, little green dot in the sky. Hey, Joe. Like, what's up? <laughs> um, yeah. And then all of a sudden we saw the news reporters and we had the best view. We were yeah. on the balcony overseeing um, the landing pad and the news reporters and stuff were under us. But yeah, when I saw them come, I was like, oh, he's like, actually, he's coming home. Like we're in yeah. his house. That's when it kind of hit me that I was at the White House. I, I was like, you weren't just at this historical no, building. This was yeah. at the actual White House. At first it felt a little historical. I was like all the security precautions, all the COVID testing, you know, like checking bags, everything. And then you know, you walked quietly through the hallways. I was like, oh, I just feel like I'm at a museum for the yeah. former presidents. I don't know. And then, yeah, so we went to the balcony. I made sure I ran to the edge of that balcony. Yeah. I was like, if Joe's going to come, I'm going to be the first to see him. <laughs> and so I secured my spot, stood there, and then all of a sudden it got windier and windier and windier. And I was like, oh, that's a helicopter is coming in full force. We are about to see the president. So the helicopter lands again, so windy. I was like, I've never been that close to a helicopter. Didn't realize. I mean, we're like 50 feet. Yes. So close. From the helicopter landing. Everyone's preparing. They roll out his like magic carpet thing. So he doesn't have to walk (laughs) on the grass. Jill's heels don't have to get in the grass. Um, And then here comes Joe and Jill off the helicopter. So kind. They wave to us. Whatever, and I'm just in awe. I'm yeah. like, and we're thinking they'll get whisked off, and we totally. get a, they have their they separate little, entrance. Yeah, yeah. But we get a little wave. Yep, and... I did my queen wave. I was like, hey, <laughs> um, they had a separate entrance down below us, and then all of a sudden, everyone else went there, and we see Joe come up the stairs, and I was like, oh my gosh, 
This is insane. He came around. He shook all of our hands. You fought for us to get a picture of him shaking our hands. Y'all, our first lady fights for us. Let me tell you. We were like, I was like big time paparazzi because I'm like, I'm going to get a picture of my girls. Yeah. 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 All, you know, the security was like, okay, let's go inside. Let's go inside. We'll get a group picture. And then, you know, First Lady Abby was like, no, 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 you stay with me. Like, we'll get you your picture. And I was like, okay, I'm listening to my state. Sorry, security. (laughs) As we get tackled to the ground. I was like, I'm going to get this picture. And I sure did. I got. I know. I I said to you because they were like trying to shoo us inside. Yeah. And because of my previous experience at the White House where I. Again, ran into Joe Biden. Yes. Weirdly. Yeah. yeah. I I like that. No, I know he's going to come over here and I know he's going to shake hands. So I said to you, I said, don't go and stay right by me. Yes. Stay right by yes. me. Yes. Yes. I said, I, and so we, and he did. And he, he came did. and he shook hands and we got pictures. He did. Yeah. And and it was really cool. We got pictures out there. We walked inside, um, got more pictures, group pictures. And then he went to go eat and probably go to bed he was probably yeah. exhausted and we yeah. said goodbye <laughs> he did mention on the balcony he said something like well i got this thing because i don't know if you heard i think I it was when I he did. was talking to us i was just in shock he said he said uh i got this thing you know north korea just shot some missiles over japan <laughs> i was like well maybe you should go take care of that yeah. <laughs> like, oh, just things with the president i like watched him hold his phone and I was like, the president has a phone. Like, yeah. I knew he had a phone. But yeah. like, watching the president of the United States hold the same iPhone that you have, yeah, yeah, casually, I was like, you're a human. Yeah. You are in human form right now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's what's cool. And I, I mean, I think anytime I've had an experience with, you know, people like that that are, you know, and I haven't had a ton of experience like that, but, you know, or celebrities yeah. or something like that, I think... My experience is always like, yeah, I mean, I know we say, of course, they're humans, but yeah. they really are humans. Yeah. And the, and 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 for me, always, almost always, the the lesson is they really are people really are kind and nice yes. and people yeah. that you see in the media, you know, you may still disagree with them politically totally. or you may disagree right. with them you know, in other ways, or you may not think their decisions are the right ones. But, you know, having the grace to understand that we're all, um, you know, we, most people are really good. Yeah. And they're trying to do the best they can with the knowledge they have and their experiences and their worldview. And so for me, it's always been a really great experience to get to know people that, that maybe are, in that realm of sort of celebrity types where you're like, they're, they're good people. Yeah. People are good. Very kind. Yeah. 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 I remember when he asked me my name and he like, didn't hear it at first and he like clarified to make sure he had it right. And I was like, <laughs> Joe knows my name. <laughs> like that's about as far as I'll get, but he heard my name and he said it out of his mouth. <laughs> We've made it. We're doing it. This yeah. is great. Yeah, I've, it was, and and to have that moment with you guys, I think yeah. that was that was just really cool. Yeah. So we did more than just visit the White House. <laughs> we we did end up having this really incredible conversation with mm. um, some cabinet leaders um, in in the White House cabinet. Um, so talk a little bit about your experience presenting to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Yeah. Um, emotional. 
It's yeah. really, really um, just very formative to talk to someone that high in power that is actually listening to you. It's one of those things where it's like, I know the general public will hear my story and be like, wow, you're incredible. Good job. We love you. See ya. You know, yeah. but just to have like designated time to share my story, my thought process behind things, what we're trying to do in the state of Utah, and also hear from other lived experience um, young adults. I mean, that was the first time I've ever sat in a room with um, people my age who have the same experience, and it was really powerful. It was people that could connect on a totally different level with me. They understand the foster care system. They understand broken relationships in your family. They understand, like, really all of it. You know, they might not know you as a day-to-day person, but they understand the deep um, growing pains of what we've gone through. And so um, it was just really incredible to hear their stories and um, kind of get insight to like what they're doing in their states. Um, like you had mentioned, we had five states with us. And so um, all of it was just incredible. And yeah, being able to share our voices was really impactful. Yeah. And I do have to say, um, I know I'm a little biased, but <laughs> seriously, you were a rock star. Thank you. Thank and you. I mean, it was it it was powerful. And there were you were by far, you know, and our and our other our other um, lived experience expert that was with us. You two were by far the most articulate, mm. the most. Um, it wasn't just emotional, but it was powerful Mm, emotion and it was vulnerable. And I mean, everybody was vulnerable and I'm not, I'm not trying to compare or whatever because everybody has their strengths and different, but, but it was, it was your testimony that they, I felt were the most um, receptive. Yes. Connected with and, and receptive to, because I mean, you had them come up to you after and you, they, they wanted to know more. And I, anyway, you were articulate and, and brilliant in, Mm. in those testimonies. And so I think it was, it was really powerful. Well, and I feel like being in that space, it's like, that's a one-time shot, you know, like you don't get to like, just redo that if you mess up. And so I was like, you guys have to understand that you make these decisions and you're in these meetings, but like people actually live these lives and like you're advocating for those tears. You're advocating for the kids who don't have a mom and dad. Like you're advocating for the voiceless. That's how I feel is I'm like, there are so many kids in our system in America over 400,000. And I'm like, it is my job to advocate for those who do not feel like they have a voice or empower their voice. Give them like a reason to speak up in their situations. Yeah. And and you're uniquely positioned to do that. I mean, I can go try to advocate and I will and I do. Yeah. But it's not nearly as effective. Yeah. When it comes from somebody that hasn't had the, had the hasn't had the lived experience. Totally. Yeah. And when you can be the voice for people that are literally in a situation now that you experience. Yeah. Yeah. And helping them like. I can look at her, a physical human being who has gone through a similar story, who has dealt with the same welfare system, and she's made it across the bridge. Yes. You know, trying to be that person. Obviously, I've struggled. It has not been a perfect line, but 
being someone people can look at and say, I can do it. Like, I can make it. I don't need to go to jail. I don't need to not go to college because I don't believe in myself. No, you can do it. Yeah. You know, it's so, so powerful. And and we all felt it in the room. And so it was really amazing. Um, I want to kind of get into what's next for you. Yes. And what your what what plans you have. And we'll do that when we come right back. We're back here with Elizabeth Pedersen. She is obviously a dear friend of mine now. And and I know all of you feel the vibe that she's giving off. She's amazing. And we've had such a great time. Um, I want to talk about I know you let's talk about what you're doing currently, because mm-hmm. I think um, it's pretty amazing. Again, like everything that you do is amazing. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about where you are right now. Um, I'm a CASA for the state of Utah. So is awesome. We need them. And talk a little bit about what that is. Yeah. So it's a court appointed special advocate. So basically, um, I build relationships with kids that I help advocate for. So um, sometimes the judge will ask you to speak in court on behalf of the child. A lot of times the guardian at litem does that. But my position is really unique because I actually get to build that one-on-one relationship with the child, even if I have a sibling set, I still have the option to take each kid out one-on-one and do an activity with them. Um, And I think it's unique because it really does help solidify what I want for these children, and that is to empower their own voice. Um, I don't want to be their voice. I don't want to speak on behalf of them. I want them to find their voice and have me come alongside and help them articulate and help them find that deeper power within them that I know they can find and push for that. Um, Obviously, there's cases a three-year-old is not going to know how to articulate perfectly in court, and I'm happy to come in and assist. But with my older kids, I really do try um, to come alongside them and say, like, what do you need? What do you want? And allow them and create a space for them to process that every month when I see them and just have them learn how to say what they want. A lot of kids are really shy and timid in speaking their voice, even when it comes to like, do you want to go to McDonald's or Wendy's? They can't make that decision. They can't speak on behalf of themselves in something as simple as that. So it makes it even harder in the court system. So I'm working on that and being a CASA is one of the greatest things in the world. Yeah. Like I just And anybody can do it, right? I mean anyone like, can do it. You go through a training, you go through a six week training, um, and anyone can do it. And it really a lot of people think it takes up so much time. It's five to ten hours a month. So it's nothing. It really is nothing. It's nothing for you. It's everything to them. Everything for them. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's that one safe, steady person. You know, I always tell people who aren't ready to foster and they're not ready to adopt, I say, be a casa, build relationship with kids in tragedy and show them triumph, like bring them to the other side, watch them walk to the other side um, because it's remarkable. And it's really the resilience who learn the joy you find in them. I mean, our minor inconveniences day to day have nothing to do. I mean, I just, they're incredible. They're incredible. And to think that I went through that, (laughs) 11 years ago, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's insane. Yeah. 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 And, and for them to be able to look at you and say, I mean, I say everyone can do it and you can, I think it's very special when people who with lived experience will do it because again, that special connection that no, I really do get what you're going through. I really do. Yeah. And you have a unique 
empathy that you can employ um, to to help those kids. So, yeah, I love that you're doing that. Um, that's not all you do. What else do that's you do? I do. I manage just so delicious. That's my little... That's my two cents. I like yeah. texted our CEO yesterday. I said, can I say so delicious? And he was like, uh, yeah, represent, <laughs> like go for it, you know? Yeah. So I work with that. Um, I manage a team of kids there. Also one of my greatest joys. Um, I'm also working on creating um, a team of people in the Salt Lake area to be lived experience advocates um, and really formulating and building that um, from the ground up has been really unique to foster and build relationships with people um, in all sorts of different communities um, and just really find a great team um, of lived experience experts for our Salt Lake area to help with policy hearings, to come and represent the lived experience life, to um, speak at conferences. I've spoken at so many conferences. I'm speaking at another one this Saturday and just getting our voices out there because they're so needed so needed. Yes. And and the the voices of hope I think yeah. is is the biggest thing because I think we we look at the child welfare system and we see a lot of brokenness in a lot of a lot of times we do. It's it's just hard. I mean, the more I get to know people and experiences and caseworkers and um families and individuals like it's it can be really overwhelming for me. Yeah. Um, and so when you when you dive into this, it feels like sometimes you're like, oh, it's just it's too much. Yeah. It's too hard. Yeah. It's there's we can't fix this and yeah. we can't fix everybody. Well, there's so many moving roles to it. Yes. I mean, if anyone listening has foster care experience, you know, like your kid has like nine workers <laughs> and that's not even the extent of it. I yeah. mean, like it just the list goes on. And so. Trying to not overwork social workers and caseworkers and therapists and stuff stepping into these positions as, you know, their professional experience, but really trying to find people with the lived experience that have the passion, that have the empathy um, to who they're speaking to, really, um, and allowing them to be that voice. Um, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I love it. You're the perfect advocate. Um, What else? is is new for you and um what what do you see down the pipe um i'm graduating with my bachelor's of psychology in may so i'm congratulations kind of, thank you thank you <laughs> i'm kind of um in that weird season of like okay what do i want to do yeah. do i want to go and work in the system do i want to just use my voice for passion and not my profession um that is the one I'm leaning to the mm. most. I would love to get a little bit more involved with all the circles of people that are really impacting the Utah foster care system and kind of see where I can help. Um, the lived experience model is something that's very new. Um, it hasn't been around for a long time. And so I know, you know, the committee that we're creating together um, and then there's a couple other ones. They don't have lived experience individuals. It's like social workers and it's panels of people that work in it, but don't necessarily have lived experience in it. And so kind of navigating those conversations and building that networking and kind of seeing, you know, where do I see myself landing, whether it's a job or not. Um, I'm not opposed to just volunteering in all aspects of the world and hoping that 
I get a job doing something <laughs> using my degree. But um, actually getting paid and yeah, whatnot. Actually getting paid one day. Yeah. Yeah. But really networking and finding um finding vulnerable youth, finding the mm-hmm. ones that are aging out. I mean, yeah. trying to create I'm in the process of building a website for mm-hmm. teenage youth and their lack of resources. How do you interview for a job? How do you fill out a job application? How do you fill out FAFSA for college? And so I'm building a website, obviously in my little to no free time. So it's taken quite a few months to like get up and going. It's almost done. Um, But just with that information with like how to budget, how to meal prep, where to go grocery shopping for like your best deals, how to, you know, recipes that are like good, delicious meals that are easy for single people. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of creating a base for people to go to um, who have aged out of foster care or foster parents to go to and using it as a tutorial to teach these kids. Um, That's something I wish was around when I aged out. I'm like, every kid needs that foster care or not. Like I didn't know how to grocery shop. I can't tell you how many times I called my aunt in the grocery store aisle. What aisle is flour on? And she was like, (laughs) Lizzie, just keep walking. Like you'll find it. (laughs) Like there's only so many aisles in the grocery store, but yeah. So in the process of building that and just kind of seeing what will flourish from that and yeah. the conversations that will be um, started. I think that's what means the most to me is the one-on-one intentional time with people, learning mm. stories or being able to advocate on behalf of um, the teens that I was mm. just a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, so great. Um, like like I say, and now, now all the listeners know why <laughs> You and I are besties now because yeah, you're yes. amazing. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'll just, create a podcast. I don't know. Yes. Yes. I think she <laughs> we'll would be perfect. <laughs> yes. She would be the perfect person for, for a podcast. Um, what do you, what's the main thing? Like if somebody was just hanging around and, and now I have, uh, we, you know, show up has, you and I have some things in the works. Yes. Yes. Um, and we have some things in the works with our interfaith community and yes. making sure that we ha- we're setting up care communities. Absolutely. This is this this is coming, folks. Yeah. So make sure that that you're watching for it. And but it's going to be big. It, it's huge. huge. It's it really is big. And and Lizzie and I are collaborating on this mm-hmm. idea and we're uh, she's going to be a big part of what we're doing going forth forward with show up and foster mm-hmm. care. Um, in the meantime, Maybe if you could plant some seeds about a casa is one thing. What are some other like desperate needs yeah. that somebody if say, hey, look, I, you know, I want to get my family involved in doing some service. Mm. I'm now realizing that this is a need. What are some other ways that that somebody could get involved in helping in the foster care space? Totally. Um, a lot of it is meals like we've created. Um, meal trains for families, foster families who take in crisis kids and are up all night and they just need dinner the next night. They just need a pan of lasagna and um, kind of equipping and setting people up for that. I mean, you're doing it for your own family. Put it in the oven for another family. That's a really easy, tangible one. We're also collecting um, a lot of donations for Utah foster care, really trying to set these kids, these teenagers um, who are about to age out for success. So what that looks like is... um, Anything for the home, kitchen utensils, pots, pans, vacuums. I mean, like, you name it, they probably need it. Um, Teenage clothing, clean out your closets. Like, we all have clothing that we don't want, we don't wear. Donate to Utah Foster Care instead of Mm -hmm. Savers or the DI. Those are great places, but um, we have teens and older kids who are in a deep need of Mm -hmm. clothing and items. 
um, they leave the system with nothing. You know, a lot of kids are sent off to college with a dorm room with bedding and all that stuff. And these kids aren't. So um, doing that for them, um, just really circling around. If you know a family who's a foster family, um, providing like a date night, have your little 14 year old child babysit their kids. You know, in the state of Utah, we're really lucky that if the parents trust them as a sitter, the state trusts them as a sitter. And so it's a lot easier to navigate um, date nights or someone to watch the kid or someone to run the child to an appointment. A lot of, I mean, they're booked with appointments all week long, plus school. Yeah. You talked about these nine people in their lives. I mean, those are, those are court appointments. Those are therapy appointments. Those are doctor's appointments, wellness checks, (laughs) like social worker prepping for court, all these things that are just like, you don't think that that's what goes into caring for a child, but it does when they're in this position. Yep. Yeah. Such great advice. Um, I think, you know, just just having your eyes open to people around you. I yeah. think, you know, a lot of us that maybe didn't grow up even knowing about foster care yeah. or, you know, knowing kids that were in foster care. I guarantee, you know, somebody around oh, you that 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 is either experiencing yeah. it now or know somebody who is. And if you don't. Reach out to my team at yes. Show Up. Um, yes. We can connect you with the organizations yeah. that are doing a lot of this work. Um, but again, we're going to make this really intentional when we're coming to you um, as a business. F- frankly, um, if you if you own a business, mm. um, there are so many ways that we can get involved. I, I have to say, like Entrada, I just have to do a shout out to Entrada. Yeah, because our friends um, Adam at, and those guys at Entrada, they've been doing a lot around these. Um, Sunday suppers yes. and our friends from the University of Utah, our our football teams and mm. our, our athletic teams, our volleyball teams, our, our Red Rocks, BYU players, they've really gotten involved in helping these Sunday suppers uh, happen. Just a meal for those families that can yes. come. They can just sit and visit with other families going through the same yes. situation. Yes. Uh, so we've been really proud of some of our business partners. But again, reach out if you if there's anything um, that that you're ready to get involved in. Yeah, so. one of the best things that I did in Boise in my time there is creating a support group once a month mm-hmm. for foster families. And it's so easily, it can be easily done anywhere. And um, I know my faith community has talked about opening up their space monthly for something like that. Yeah. Um, and just providing a space for like-minded individuals. You know, it's really easy to find like, Everyone in the world who goes through certain things and for some reason, even someone who was in foster care myself, it is so hard to find other people involved in foster care Yeah, until you ask, yeah. you know, until you ask and either they are or they know someone who is or something like that. So just network, network, network. Yeah. Find yep. those people. Um, it takes a village. It takes a village for your own kids and it takes a village for foster kids and really coming around them as a community. Yep. And I yeah. love the mentoring piece stuff you're doing because I think that's that one caring adult that we've talked about before. Yes. So thank you so yes. much. Thank and you. thank you for being here yes, with us. It was love so it. fun. Okay. It was Thanks, so Lizzie. fun. Thank you. <laughs> you can find more information at utahfostercare.org as well as our website, showuputah.org. Thanks for being a friend. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. 
But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.